please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Word says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies... Sorry, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution, uh, contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Levi. Appreciate that. Hey, Levi Bachelor is uh, him and his wife, Tori, uh, been members here for, for many years. They, they lead an adult life group. Uh, Levi is in my uh, Wednesday discipleship group. And um, man, just want to introduce you to him in case you didn't know him already. Uh, but go ahead and open up to that passage um, in 2 Corinthians. Um, I want you to see... Uh, that, that I'm not kind of doing my thing today and that at our church, um, anything that I say that has any weight or bearing comes from uh, God's word and not mine. So uh, we are, we're in the series called Find Life, Live Sin at our church. And this is not just a catchy phrase. Um, it is our conviction. It is uh, our belief and our understanding of reading the Bible that life The life that we were created to live, life in relationship with our creator, life with joy and peace and purpose and true happiness is only found in God. And the only way that we can experience that life is through God's gift of his son, Jesus Christ. By believing in him, trusting him, following him, loving him, obeying him, we find life. And the response of finding life in Jesus is to go and tell other people about Jesus. As the Father has sent him, so he is now sending us. Find life and live sin. And so this series, we are putting uh, flesh on that phrase. We're kind of walking through measurable things, what that looks like to find life, live sin. We're using four Gs. We're hoping this language is sticking a little bit. Uh, It is gather, grow, give, and go. 
those four G's. You can go back on our app and catch up with us if you missed any of those things. But uh, today we're going to be talking about give. Give. I, I, I read a story this week. Um, it was about a Christian farmer, and um, he had a cow, and his cow got pregnant. Now, that was really exciting to him because he was going to sell that calf, and he was going to go buy a new tractor. And so with that, um, he was excited, and then he got even more excited when he found out that the, cat, that the cow had, was going to have twins. There was going to be two calves born, so he's so excited. He's pumped up about it. They're going to have twins and he goes and tells his wife and his wife says well honey don't forget you know we we need to give one of these calves to the lord he said yeah you're right i agree with that yeah we're going to do that well uh soon after uh the cow gave birth to two calves but sadly one of the calves died he had to go break the news to his wife he came in the house and said hey i've got really bad news honey the Lord's calf died. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny story, uh, but it's a sad reality because that is often the attitude and the action of many Christians when it comes to giving. It is often the Lord's calf that dies. We talk about giving, and you can kind of feel the tension in the room when, when, when the preacher starts to talk about giving. Some of you potentially are already kind of squirming in your seats. Some might even be saying, I should have slept in. And, uh, and, and surely, every time we do this, someone's always sitting there saying, here goes the church again. All they want is my money. Let me... Let me just tell you right out of the gate. Let me dispel all that. That is not true at all. The church doesn't just want your money. It wants so much more than your money. The church wants your life. It requires your life because Christ requires our life. So today when we talk about giving, it's not just about giving money. It's about giving our tithes. It's about giving our time, and it's about giving our talents to the church. And when we can embrace that idea and these spheres of our lives, that is the place where we really will experience life abundantly, and we will truly be able to find life and live sin. So today, as we talk about those things, those are, those are methods of giving, right? Right? Tithe, time, and talents. Those are methods. Before we talk about the methods, we must first talk about the motivation of giving. It's what sets Christians apart from everybody else in the world. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that give away a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of talents to things, right? We're not the only people that give. But the motivation behind our giving is what sets us apart from all other people on the face of the earth. Again, if you have your Bibles, look down with me at 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. This passage here, Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to give to the Jerusalem church who was in need. Now, in context here, 
This is a, a, an, an offering of either monetary or physical needs. There's practical things that they're taking up here. However, the, the, the principles of giving in all spheres of life, including tithe, time, and talents, is found here in this passage. We can learn a lot about giving in general just by looking at this text. Paul started out with a well-known proverb telling them, you reap what you sow. Or you've heard the old adage of sow a seed of faith and all that stuff. Listen, here's the idea here. This is not uh, sow a seed and then you get a lot of money back. That's not that clownish preaching that says, hey, if you give a little bit and you sow a little bit, man, God's going to make it rain money on your life. It's not that. Sowing a seed uh, is about getting back fruit in the kingdom of God. Spiritual fruit, that is the reward for faithful sowing. He goes on to say that this giving should be voluntary. It should not be done under compulsion, a forced, reluctant, okay, I'll give. That's not what he says. He says it should be done with a cheerful heart because God loves the cheerful giver. So this is my application to how we are to give. But, but then Paul gives us the motivation. He gives us the motivation of our giving. Now, notice here in this passage, and really, really all the way back to chapter 8, there's a great uh, study of giving here. Paul is not using his apostolic authority to pressure the church into giving. He's not saying, I'm an apostle. He's not doing a, a drive-by guilting of the saints in order to, so they would just give. Okay, Paul, we get it. That's not what he's doing here. He's also not giving a prosperity preacher message and says he promises them, God's just going to make it rain cash on you if you just give a little bit. It's not what he's doing. He doesn't tell them to give because if they give, they'll get God's favor. He also doesn't tell them this sob story about the pitiful people in the Jerusalem church. That's so sad. Oh, you, you, you need to give to these needy people. That's not what he uses as a motivation. The motivation that Paul tells them, the reason why they should give to the church is because God has given to them. The motivation for giving by the people of God is the giving of God to his people. I'll put this up here so you guys can kind of home in on this idea here. The motivation for our giving, Christian giving, by the people of God is the giving of God to his people. So it sets us apart from all other people on the planet. And I think in this passage in verses 6 through 15, I think there are two things that Paul says that God has given us to stir up in us this cheerful giving heart. Those two things, I think, are God's grace and they are God's gospel. God's grace and God's gospel. First, let's look at God's grace. It's in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things 
at all times that you may abound in every good work. How does God's grace motivate us to give? Number one, all of our giving is all because of God's grace. I want you to know that first because here's what you and I both know, that it is not in the natural heart to give. What is natural in us is to hoard, is to cling tightly to our stuff selfishly. If you don't believe that, then go to a daycare and watch three-year-olds play for an hour. We don't naturally come out of the womb giving things away. It is only by God's grace in changing our stingy hearts who makes us givers. That's God's grace. Now, another form of God's grace, I believe, that what Paul is talking about here is, I think the Corinthian church here, I think what potentially might have been holding them back from giving sacrificially was the fear that they might lack. You, you feel that way sometimes? I'm afraid if I give, I, I, I won't have enough for me. I'll lack, right? God's grace right here, according to what he's saying here, is that we never have to worry about lacking things that we need. It says here that God's grace abounds so much that God is the ultimate giver of all things, that he sufficiently will take care of every need we will ever have in our lives, that we will never lack in anything. This is the abounding grace of God. And I need that. I don't know if you do. I remember struggling with giving. I was always afraid. Well, how are we going to feed the kids? How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to pay these bills? God says, shh, calm down. I'll supply you with everything that you need to be a giver. Don't worry. This is the grace of God. This is what motivates us in our giving, that we will never lack. God owns everything in the world. There's not anything that is not his. There's nothing that you have that he has not given you. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Christians are owners of nothing and stewards of everything. This is the grace of God. We don't have to worry about lacking in anything because God gives us all things. Now, he's giving us his grace, but I think Paul also goes on to say another motivation for our giving is the gospel of God. That's always our motivation, by the way. But look with me in verse 13. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Paul's saying here that our that our submission, that, that giving is something that we submit to because it naturally flows out of our confession about the gospel. 
See, when you, when, you, when you hear the preaching of the gospel and you believe the actual gospel, then what it does is it creates in you a giving heart. When you come to the realization that in our lives, God is our greatest need. He is the greatest treasure that you could ever have in your life. But the reality is, our sin has left us penniless and spiritually bankrupt. We can't afford the riches of the kingdom of God. We can't pay back God for all of the sin that we have done wrong. We have a great, great need, and we can't meet that need on our own. But the good news of the gospel is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish. God met our greatest need. He gave us Jesus. And he didn't just stop there. He gave us eternal life. He gave us salvation. He gives us joy and peace and happiness and a wealth of riches stored up forever for the believer. Though he was rich, he became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. This is what God has done for us. This is what God has given to those who believe. And Paul is saying here that Christian giving is a response to our confession that we believe in the gospel. So hear me, hear me for just a moment. A refusal to give and we're specifically talking about the church today, a refusal to give to the church or a begrudging giving to the church or a dutiful giving to the church reveals not that you have a financial problem, it reveals that you have a gospel problem. That there's something about the gospel that you're not really believing in. And you need to immerse yourself deeper into the gospel. And that's where the Holy Spirit loves to, to work in your life, is to show you the beauty of the gospel. That's the point Paul is making here. He says, before you give your tithes and your time and your talents, before you look at your budget before you look at your schedule, before you look how much margin that you have in your life and how you're using gifts. He says, hey, before you look at that, look at your God. You look at him and look at what he has done for you, his grace, his mercy, his gospel, and then what will come out of that is generous, cheerful giving. In fact, our giving gives proof that the gospel is working in your life. This is the motivation for our giving, church. So with that as our motivation, with our hearts cheerful, now we need to talk about the method. How do we do this? To whom do we give? How do we give? How much do we give? Thankfully, the scripture is not silent on these things, and it tells us the methods and the measurables of our giving. To whom do we give? 
Well, we know that we are to be givers in general, meaning just like giving anywhere we go into the world and those kind of things. But the scripture tells us specifically we are to be givers at our church. Look at Galatians 6.10 with me. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we're talking about that today because Paul said especially to the household of faith. There's a caution in here as well against, hey, go to church, but then do all your giving at the Red Cross and humanitarian events and go to all these things and give to Goodwill. And He's like, hold on now. The primary place, especially your giving, should be done at your local church. That is to whom? So how now? How much? How do we give? Let's walk through these measurables of tithe, time, and talents here today. And I believe that a healthy Christian who really does want to find life and live sin will include all three of these things. Not just one, but all three. Let's look at the first. Giving our tithe. Giving our tithe. So here comes the money part, right? Here you go. I knew he was going this way. Here he goes. Um, We're not low on cash, so this is not, hey, preach a sermon, we need some cash. Our church is (laughs) debt-free. That's the grace of God on this church. I'm not begging uh, because I'm in a great need. You guys are so generous in your giving uh, that allows me to preach the gospel every week. So this is not a needy campaign that we have going today. Uh, I also need to dispel a rumor that's coming out of kids' ministry from Henry Long. And so Henry Long is a little six-year-old kid, and Henry, Henry, uh, a few weeks ago, he went along with his mama and his daddy, Trey and Lucy. They went down to my in-law's condo in Destin. They went on a vacation down there for a week. Well, Henry comes back and's telling everybody down to kids ministry that he went to RC's beach house. <laughs> Pastor ain't got no beach house. Let me make sure that's clear. But if you do, that's cool. Especially if you want to give me one of your weeks, right? So let's talk about money. When it comes to money, the Bible is clear about where we start. It's clear about where we start. The baseline is the tithe. That's the Hebrew word uh, for tenth of everything, right? So let let me do a little bit of work here. I'm not going to go into this exhaustive history Uh, in the Old Testament of the tithe. But I do want to start here to help you see that the the tithe is not just an Old Testament thing that's valid under the the law. It's expected under grace. It's expected under grace. First stop, Genesis 14. You have Abraham who's just come out of a mighty, mighty victory, owning some kings in war. He comes back with the spoils from the war, oil and wine, and cattle, and grain. He runs into this guy named Melchizedek, a priest, a type of Christ. And here's the interaction. Here's what happens. Genesis 14, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him, and he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram 
gave him a tenth of everything. So you have Melchizedek, he blesses Abraham with all these things. And then Abraham responds to Melchizedek by giving him 10% of all of the spoils. This act of tithing was an acknowledgement that God had in fact been the one who conquered his enemies. God had won the victory. This act of tithing by Abraham was an acknowledgement that God owns everything, that God is getting his first, God is getting his best, and that he actually believed in God, so he therefore tithed. I think what's interesting here is this tithe, this act of tithing happened 400 years before the law was given. Tithe predates the law. Hang on to that. The tithe predates the law. This was not, this not, this act of tithing wasn't Abraham following the law, it was following his Lord, right? And this, this would go on to continue. It was not only predated the law, it was practiced in the Old Testament. Whole history of things we could do. You've got Leviticus, you've got Deuteronomy 16 when Moses was giving the law and he included the tithe in the law because he wanted the people to continue to practice tithing. It was the acknowledge, again, it was everything was God. He was gonna give the first fruits into the storehouse, that whole idea. This was practiced in the Old Testament. You probably know the story at the end of the book of uh, the Old Testament, the last book, Malachi 3.10, the Israelites were, were neglecting the tithe. They kind of saw it as not, not a very big deal, and, and God came to them, and he called them thieves. You robbers. And they're like, what are you talking about, God? He said, in your tithes and offerings. You're not giving your tithe. He said, by his grace, he said, hey, you bring that full tithe into the storehouse, the church, and you put me to the test, and you wait and see if I will not open up the heavens and rain down blessings on you, right, to be a better giver. And he did that. That's the Old Testament principle. Now, the question often comes to the New Testament. What about the New Testament? We're under grace, not under the law anymore. Which, which not all, I will say this, it isn't always this case, but usually people who say we're under grace in the New Testament, usually they use that as an excuse to tip rather than tithe. And if you know anything about the New Testament, if you know anything about being under grace, it always requires more, not less, Right? Jesus' sermon on the mount, Matthew 5. You have said, you have heard, he said, don't commit adultery. The Old Testament law says don't commit adultery. Notice what Jesus says after that. He didn't say, hey, but here's the deal. I mean, if you just practice safe sex and look at a lot of porn, you're good. It's not what he said. He said, if you, even if you lust after a woman, you have committed adultery. He said, you've heard that it said, don't don't murder your brother, right? Don't murder in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? He didn't say, hey, we're under grace. You want to kill that guy driving slow in the fast lane? It's all good. No, he said, 
If you hate your brother, if you have anger in your heart, now you've committed murder. The New Testament, the covenant of grace always requires more, not less. So when the Jewish Christians would have heard this idea in the church, they would have known this wasn't a license to banish the tithe. It was the baseline of their giving. And they would have gone on to give way more than their tithe. I think also, I think 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 16 shows us a little bit. I think it infers the tithes. I say this as an opinion because it's not black and white, so I want to make sure that I'm really clear. But look at 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, the Lord's day, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Again, I, I think this sounds like the tithe. I think there's some principles here that, that infer that. Uh, he, he says that their tithing should be regular. It should be personal. He says to each of you bring in proportional to what they have. I think that sounds a lot like the tithe. Church giving starts with the tithe. And if, if you try to engage in the practice of Christian giving by doing exegetical gymnastics and jumping around the tithe and tipping, and I'll give a little bit here to this ministry and that ministry, if you try to do that, you are skipping the base and the foundation for all Christian giving. It starts with the tithe. It starts with the tithe. Now, it doesn't end with the tithe. We know that, um, that generosity is actually what happens after the tithe. So we not only give 10%, then the generosity flows out and it starts to give to missionaries and ministries and using being generous with all the possessions we have. And that's a whole different sermon we won't get into today. But it does start with the tithe. Now, let me say this right before I close out this section. Um, some of you are hearing this, and this is crushing news. This is, again, it's that thing that starts to make you uncomfortable because perhaps in your life, you are, um, you've not, you, weren't, you didn't have parents maybe that taught you how to budget well. And you made some decisions in your life financially that have left you drowning in debt right now today. Maybe you're, you're kind of hearing this and you're like downshifting into shame right now. Let me just say a word to you really quickly. Um, we are saved by grace through faith, not by tithing so that no man may boast. You understand? We're not saved because... We tithe, say, because of Christ's work on the cross. However, when we do believe that, that's not a permission slip to continue to walk in disobedience. That gospel demands that we confess our sin and repent and turn towards obedience. So wherever, the, wherever you're at and where you have been, that is not necessarily that's not necessarily the point here. It's a matter of what you're going to do with it today. Are you going to turn towards the tithe and trust God? Are you going to say, 
You gave me everything. I believe in you. I trust in you. You will provide for me. You are the first and best in my life. Are you going to do that or are you going to continue to walk in disobedience? We also want to leave you with a position of help here and not just kind of leave you in a what do I do next kind of thing. Man, we want to help you. We have, we have financial counseling available to all members. And we'll work through things with you and your budget if you'll let us into that and swallow some pride and say, hey, you probably need to cut this thing out. Your Xbox account, maybe you can't afford that, but you can't afford this. Maybe whatever it is, we want to help you do that in a very graceful, uplifting way because not necessarily because we're begging you to give, but you might be missing out on the joy of giving. There's great joy in giving. See, God is a giving God. And when we give, we are like our God. <laughs> we show the world what we're like when we give. So let us help you. That's what your blue card is for, all of those things. Let's dive into the next section here because giving is, is not just about stroking a check, texting to give, filling out an envelope in the back of the chair. That's just where it starts. Giving goes on as giving of our time. Giving of our time. I think it's easier to measure our money because we're always looking at our bank accounts and it's very quantifiable, it's very measurable, and so we can, we can balance that out. But I, I think when it comes to time, we don't necessarily look at our time in the same way, do we? We don't look at our time on this spreadsheet or this app on our phone that says, okay, you're doing this today. And so it's very easy for us to end up wasting the time that we have. And in fact, I would, I would contest that, that, that time is more precious than our money. Isn't it? It's definitely more precious right here. Because you can, you can make money, but you can't make time. Once, once money's gone, you can make some more money. But once time is gone, you can't get time back. Time is more precious than our money. Look at what Paul said in Ephesians. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There are two Greek words for time. That word, the first word is chronos, which is, or chronos, which is chronology. It's measuring time and minutes and days and weeks and years. But the other word is kairos. And it just means making the best use opportunity and, and the best stewards of the actual time that we have in our lives. It's not just about counting time. Kairos is about making time count. So I know that time is precious to everybody. Um, let me say this always because when we start getting into how we use uh, our, our, our time for the glory of God, many people say, I don't have time. I, like, I'm really busy. Everybody in this room is busy, okay? No one is, don't get into playing this game of, well, they got a lot more margin in their schedule than I do. We're all busy people. How will we use, though, the time? How will we give up the precious time that God has given us for, specifically here today, for the sake of the church? 
What kind of time are you giving to your church? Let me say it that way. Hour? Once a week? Is that proportionate to what God has given us with our precious time? I don't think so. I think God requires way more than a Sunday morning service to do that. You know, again, a lot of us have very busy lives. And we give our time to a lot of things. Some of you are giving. We have, we have to give our time to some things. We have to give our time to our spouses if we're in a marriage. We have to give our time to our children if we have families. We have to give our time to our work. It's a good thing to work and provide. Those are all really, really good things that we need to be very faithful in giving time to. However, however. We should never use faithfulness in giving time in one area to forsake giving time in any other area. We are to give our time all around to everyone. And it's a hard thing. It's not easy. But when you look up at your schedule by the end of the week, what time have you given to the people around you in this church? Are you so busy raising your own kids, running them from soccer practice to football practice to here to there to band? Are you so busy doing that that you look up and you, you have no time to weep with anyone here? You have no time to pray for anybody. You have no time to encourage someone. You have no time to invite someone to your house to extend hospitality to. If that's your schedule, something is imbalanced. Are are you working so much, putting in all the hours, all the extra overtime? You're just climbing that ladder, got to get that house. You're doing that so much that you can't serve at your church that that you can't come to bible study you still have time to get into a d group or a life group at your church time is precious church and faithful people who are motivated by the gospel acknowledge god has given us all the time we have Whatever moment we have is God-given. How are you and I using our time? Doesn't stop there. Our last piece here is we give our talents. We give our talents. You know, talents, that word, when we we see the word talent in the English language, we, we immediately go to celebrities and athletes and, oh, very talented kind of people But the scriptures tell us that we all are talented. That every single person created by God, redeemed by God, has a specific talent or gift that has been given for the benefit of the church. Look at Romans 12 with me. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy 
in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and not all Uh, not every talent that we have is a spiritual gift, but I believe spiritual gifts are rooted in talents. And he's basically saying that, hey, we're all uniquely created. In this body, we're all a functioning part of it, and God has just given you an ability, a skill, a talent, specifically to you, to be used to build this body up. And he's calling us to reflect on How are we using those talents and gifts? Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Well, are you just, I don't know, using that at your job? Is that your job as a receptionist somewhere? Or using that gift to benefit the church? Some of you have the gift of teaching. A lot of teachers in the room. Hear me, teachers. I love the fact that you teach. That's great. God gave you that gift to teach so that you would teach in his church. Oftentimes I I hear the the pushback. Oh, I I can't do that. I teach all week. Why did God give you the gift of teaching? Especially for the household of faith. That's why. Yes, go Teach in community in all those different domains. That's great. But don't neglect the gift of teaching for the church. Acts of service, giving, singing. Some, some of you are really wired to be great um, uh, planners and organizers. And you're good with math and not like me and all those kind of things. That, that, that's good. Use that for the benefit of the church. Serve your church We're going to close this out, and I'm going to tell you a story really quickly about, I think, what this actually looks like. Before we do that, I want to just kind of recap what we just kind of said today. I think that living selfishly and clinging tightly to tithe, time, and talents, that's the way of the world. But for everyone who calls Christ Lord, we are givers. We are givers. We are generous, cheerful givers. But I want to read the story to you of actually showing you what this kind of looks like in a real story. Um, Caesar Hadrian, he became Caesar of Rome in the year 117. And so... Soon after he he took the throne there in Rome, he began to hear rumors about this small group of people, um, cult, you could say. Um, And these little followers, uh, these little people, they were called followers of the way, which we know is Christianity. And so Caesar began to get a little anxious and a little nervous. He's like, what's going on with these people? Are they a threat? Why are they doing these things? Why are they making so much noise? Why are people talking about this little group of people who are followers of the way? So what he did was, is he hired out this spy, Aristides. 
So they need to go in there, do a covert operation, get in there close to them, find out what makes them tick. What are they doing in there? What makes them so peculiar? What makes them so distinct? And people are noticing them. They're growing. And this is what Aristides wrote back to Caesar. They love one another. And he who has, he gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and they rejoice over him as a brother. And if there's any among them that are poor and needy, and if they don't have any food, they'll go on and fast for two or three days in order to supply the needy of their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, Caesar, is what he said. And there's something divine in the midst of them. What would Life Point Stewart's Creek could look like this? What if this unique, peculiar, distinct people, followers of the way, what if we started to live like this? What if we started to give like this? And by God's grace, people would start to notice in the city. By God's grace, people might even start to say there's something divine in the midst of them. By God's grace, it might be attractive to them. By God's grace, we might be able to win more people in this city for Christ. But it must start with our giving. Father, we have heard your word. It is clear, it's true, it's profound. It, is, um, it, it cuts, <laughs> but it also cures. It hurts, but it also heals. And so, Father, today... May we see your generosity above all things. How you've given us grace. You have given us the gospel. And I pray, God, that that would change our hearts to turning us into cheerful givers of all domains of our life. But specifically today, we ask that you make us cheerful givers of tithes, our time, and our talents. So that the world would see you in us and you would get glory. In Jesus' name, amen.